business. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. What's up, everyone? Hello, welcome to Pod Damn America. I'm Jake Flores. That's Anders Lee. Anders Lee here. We are joined by Comedy's own Freddie G. So happy to be here. Uh, it's good, good to good to talk with you again, man. You're uh, you're one of my favorite comics in New York. Uh, which I miss. I miss New York, man. I'm out in LA now. Um, and the listeners can't see this, but Freddie is a redhead. Do you identify? I as do a look ginger? like the Jew. Yeah, I look like the Jewish Anders Lay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for pointing that out to the audience. That's important for them to know context-wise. Um, yeah, so we uh, we did uh, yeah we did the responsible um, bro podcaster thing. We brought in representation for what we're talking about. We brought in a Jew because we're going to talk about all of the various things going on with Israel. Um, you know, to get perspective and also to shield us from criticism that's why people do shit like this right <laughs> uh <laughs> i am not good at that Jews like to criticize when you're an when you're a non-zionist jew jews like to criticize you yeah I f that's that's something that's becoming very apparent is that the they they don't they don't care <laughs> they're just like no you're you're Hamas now. Everyone's Hamas. My favorite thing about what's happening with Israel right now is that like everyone who criticizes them is Hamas. Even the Hague. The Hague is Hamas. <laughs> yeah, South Africa is the legal political arm of, of Hamas. They've said that's their main defense against the uh, war crimes trial. Um, yeah. Every, everyone is Hamas, and also Hamas is Nazis now. Um, I don't know if you saw this thing that fucking Netanyahu tweeted out the other day, but he said that he's claiming that they found um, in a child's bedroom a tablet and the tablet had a screensaver of Adolf Hitler on it. I think there's like a picture of it and it's like the first picture when you Google Adolf Hitler, that's the one that they just used and uh, it's just like, it's among like a lot of things that are just like kind of clear propaganda but it's the funniest one to me because I don't, I don't I know I'm sure that some of them have screensavers, but I don't think generally like tablets have screensavers. They just sort of turn off when you're not using them or they keep the screen on. It's like the thing from the past when it kind of struck me as like a boomer thing of he's like, mm -hmm. they'll believe this, you know, like when that guy spray painted blacks rule on his driveway. It's like, <laughs> you think that's the, how they talk. It's just, it, it, he gave the whole thing away in the way he framed it, you know? Yeah, it's called like a desk, a background or a home screen or something like that. Uh, there's even all kinds of crazy. There's things like I think there's versions where like uh, the Nazis met with like some precursor to Hamas and like they were the ones who gave him the idea for the Holocaust. There's even like crazy stories like that. <laughs> wow. well, also, just the idea that like if you're a teen and you're really into Hitler, you're like, I'm going to put him as my desktop. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i mean it could be a a reminder of uh what not to be like um this is what 
with uh, what I would say if I was the teen's defense attorney, sure. other than this thing is made up. Uh, but uh, Freddie, you're from you grew up in Queens, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you you uh, so you have been in the the Jewish faith for a long time. And uh, what was I'm curious, like what how Israel was introduced to you, I guess, as a, as a concept, do you, do you remember learning about it? Was it just kind of always ubiquitous or, uh, you know, obviously a lot oh, of, yeah, different... I remember. Okay, cool. I mean, as oh, we no, talked oh, on the show, there's like many different, like view, you know, branches of Judaism, especially even in New York city. Uh, but what was, what was yours and how, and how were you introduced to the, to the state of Israel? So my family is like reform or like kind of secular, but then they sent me to a conservative Jewish day schools. My dad did not know what that was. And conservative Judaism is very Zionist. Uh, the school was named at Solomon Schechter School of Queens. Solomon Schechter founded conservative Judaism, which is like the Judaism where like you kind of eat kosher, but like you're very judgy about it. Uh, <laughs> and they're very Zionist. Um, so they would always just talk about Israel and uh, and kind of uh, Israel, just Israel being surrounded by Arabs and uh, being the underdog and that kind of stuff. And just like it was obvious, like if you're Jewish, you're into Israel. Uh, and then I left the religion, but like leaving the religion, people don't care as much. But then Zionism is kind of like the secular religion of Jews. And people get mad if you leave Zionism more. Right. That's been interesting to watch uh, with people like Bill Maher, who has made his career being a, an avowed atheist. who's like all religions are bad, which I guess he would maybe still say, but he's also very attached to Israel and I guess Zionism. So it's this kind of contradiction where it's it's even beyond uh, theology almost. It's it's what what is it? An ethnic uh belief or like what is it that that makes it so prominent even among like secular people oh what yeah how would you describe i did want to say i think that uh uh modern times are showing us that atheists can be pretty racist and pretty homophobic that's a good point yeah well if there's no god to stop you you know go for it <laughs> yeah i think i mean it uh, yeah judaism is in a, a religion and ethnicity and then uh i guess now and uh, they're trying to make it into a nationality and just basically if you're jewish they want you to say that this country of israel is your homeland even though uh my ancestors just left europe in the early 1900s when they probably lived in europe for like a thousand years or whatever so we never had any connection to israel a lot of jews do though do have family there and when was it that you started to kind of uh, question this and and you, and you now identify as an, as an anti-Zionist? How, how long did that take and what were kind of the, the things that brought you over to the other side? So I went to Birthright in 05, so I was still into it then. Uh, and then as I became more left-leaning, I stopped. I was like, oh, it's all bad. I don't want to talk about it. And most Jews who are like kind of secular or kind of liberal just don't want to talk about it because they know they'll piss somebody off. And they're right. Once you start talking about it, you piss somebody off. Then in 2021, uh, I read The Hundred Year War on Palestine, which is a book we, uh, I know you guys have been talking about on the podcast. Uh, and that just made me like, okay, it's time to say that this is bad. Uh, and then like basically right around then, it was May 2021, there was the war. And then I started like openly criticizing Israel. Well, that's what, what was Birthright like in 2005? Because that's when... Uh shit was going on with with gaza with when i that was when i first 
uh, remember he, learning about there's this uh, this conflict and there's this place called the Gaza Strip and the settlers were getting removed from Gaza. What was it like to to visit there as as an American Jew? Everyone was you wearing want- trucker hats and Ed Hardy shirts <laughs> and playing poker. Two thousand five, folks. Oh yeah, yeah. Lots of guns. Yeah, everyone in Israel has guns. I'm not sure when that happened. I did go in January of 05. So it's okay. possible the thing you're talking about happened after. I, there was no mention of Gaza. Um, in general, as you guys say, uh, when Jew, when uh, Zionist Jews talk about Gaza, Gaza equals Hamas and Hamas equals the Nazis. And then you can kind of, ju- once you do that, you can kind of justify anything. Um so there wasn't, I mean, they were, they were building the, the quote unquote, oh, you guys can see my hands, but the quote unquote security fence uh, at that time. I think we drove by it, but Israel, I mean, it was pretty nice. It's a nice place to visit. We did have a soldier on the bus. Oh, and they did this thing. They had this, they had us go to the cemetery uh, with the soldier so that they could cry. Uh, and then I found so out the like, soldier can cry. Yeah, the soldiers could cry about the lost comrades. And oh. then I found out like shoot and cry is kind of a trope of the Israeli army. So they had that in the tour. Shoot and cry? It's a classic war trope. It's like, well, we kill people and some of them might be innocent civilians, but we cry about it later. So we're the good guys. Okay. Wow. The opposite of save the cats. <laughs> That's, I don't know if I could do that if I was put on this. I can't cry if I'm put on the spot. That was one of the things that, uh, was my biggest flaw as an actor is, uh, you, you know, it's hard to make tears uh, come out just just on command. And even if it's about an emotionally real thing, did it look like they were, I don't want to say crocodile tears, but maybe forced tears? Or was this a genuine grieving moment? I don't remember it super detailed, but I believe they did have dead comrades. But it wasn't right. that them crying about their, because when you've lost someone, it's easier to cry. Yeah, but they took us there. I the 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 idea of taking us there was propaganda. I'm not saying the soldiers weren't being genuine, but they were being genuine as part of a propaganda apparatus, which is what birthright is. Hmm. Mm. And how does your your family or loved ones feel now about? Uh, I suspect maybe I'm wrong, but do you ha- still have relatives who are super pro Israel, and and what do they think about uh, your your changing views? I don't have relatives. A lot of my friends are from, I went, so I went to that school, Solomon Chicken School of Queens, K through eight. So that's nine years. Damn. And then I made a lot of, fr- a lot of my good friends are, are Jews who are at least lean towards Zionism. Uh, and some, yeah, some aren't talking to me now and others, it's maybe just like, I'm not sure. And you, they're talking to you, that's not because of comedy. That's because of, uh, because of political reasons. Yeah. Okay. They just say people, yeah, people don't like if you're posting, uh, you know, people, if you say, if you call it a genocide, people get mad. Yeah. The, the G word can, uh, as we're, we're seeing now, um, inspire a lot of consternation and you know, that's, that's, it can be kind of tricky territory because, uh, one thing I have heard, I remember watching an interview a long time ago with, uh, Joan Peters, who, who, um, wrote the book from time immemorial, which as it turned out was largely fabricated. But I remember her saying that just drawing a very stark line that you can never compare in any way, uh, what's going on in the Palestinians to, to what the Nazis did. And yeah, I believe she was saying the same thing about the word genocide is that, uh, and certainly people are saying that today is that it diminishes the memory of the Holocaust to talk, to use the G word, 
Um, I, I'm curious what you think about that because there's always you can always look at the uh, historical specificity of both situations and draw a lot of contrasts. But uh, what do you? How do you feel now about maybe even invoking what what has happened to to Jewish people in the Holocaust as a as a reason to to not uh, pursue the war in Gaza? Um, how how do you feel about the that the that word being used and maybe the memory of the Holocaust being invoked? So I'm a big history nerd, and yeah, the word genocide may have been coined after the Holocaust, but mm. it's just mass killing of an ethnic group. Mm-hmm. Uh, genocides have been going on a very long time. Uh, I mean, even right before this, the Armenian genocide, uh, the Trail of Tears was a, was a, a, ended up being a genocide. And the interesting thing is the way you would usually kill a lot of people is to cut off their food supply. Kind of like the famous example is the Irish potato famine uh, that England did. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, like if you're cutting off food to 2 million people, that's a genocide. It just, the Nazis were the only ones who used gas chambers and that is more horrible, but uh, you can be a genocide without being as bad as the Nazis. Right. And uh, that's sort of what South Africa is saying uh, before the, the ICJ. Um, we thought maybe we would get a an appearance from the Dersh to, to defend Israel. <laughs> Unfortunately, he did not show up. I think yeah, that was idea was probably floated uh, by people who are in kind of a bubble and are not aware of uh, other developments in the news surrounding Alan Dershowitz, but he did not get called up. Um, he was double booked that week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, He's the guy you get if Rudy says no. <laughs> <laughs> the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, is that what it stands for? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's in The Hague, just for yep. people catching up, which uh, you may have heard thrown around in conversation over the years. It's like a turn of phrase. People always say, like, ah, you should be tried in The Hague. Well, yeah. Um, if you've never thought about what that is, that's uh, that's it's like, yeah, that's like post World War II. Like we're going to establish this international court, you know, sort of shit to uh, to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen again. And it's I can't think of a time in my lifetime when the Hague has come up like this. <laughs> I, know, I know people have been tried in it before, but this seems like um, kind of unprecedented. Right. Yeah. Maybe Milosevic. I don't really remember watching that one, but. Um, yeah, it's been it's been a while. I mean, it's striking to me, frankly, that they make them wear those robes because the UN and this international court, they're supposed to be like an international body, and we can't come up with something better as like a global, maybe some like blue and white UN smocks or something. Like these these robes is what they do in England and Canada, which we all agree in most of the world looks ridiculous. So I don't know why they're making these other countries wear these fucking robes, but um, that South is Africa. interesting. Yeah, do they have to wear wigs too? Those wigs, it's like what are we in England? Like basically, the yeah. wigs look like they're the people who invented genocide in England back in the day. Yeah, like they they make I don't or, I don't, or I don't know. oatmeal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're making. Uh, they have Malcolm Shaw. There's a photo I'm looking at. Who's one of the the barristers? Another English British term. Uh, who's speaking before the court, and he's the only one wearing a wig. So I don't know if just like this guy is bald and wanted an excuse to to cover it up that day. I think it's, uh, you can only talk if you're wearing the wig. It's the talking wig. <laughs> that might be true. I don't know. This based on this photo, that looks like it's the case. But uh, everybody's wearing the stupid like 
kerchief. Um, but basically, yeah, what they've said is, you know, speaking of the G word, they've, they try to switch that around and say, not only are we not doing genocide, um, but uh, the world is doing genocide to us. That's Hamas. Is yeah, basically doing it, genocide. You're gu- guilty of genocide by bringing this this case before a court. Essentially, just just, just for context, if anyone's been living in a hole for the last week and catch a story. What's happening is that South Africa is uh, accusing Israel of genocide in this in the, in the ICJ in the Hague or whatever. And it's been interesting because Israel has um, lawyers and stuff. It has like a defense, and it it's that, that's what it. That's what they've been saying is somehow, you know, that this this is hypocritical of South Africa because South Africa, like, as we all know, did apartheid, you know, in the in the past. But um, I think it's, it's kind of interesting about that is, uh, well, a first of all, you know, that's kind of a gross misrepresentation of like who from South Africa is making these arguments, because you know, what happened after apartheid ended in South Africa is a lot of the people that suffered under it then went on a generation later to like become politicians and lawyers and stuff like that. And as a sort of never again situation, that's why I think this party has so much of a, of like an intention or a, a motivation here and experience to draw upon in order to like stop this from happening. I think that's what's happening. Right. So it's stupid to go. You did. You did genocide. Therefore, you shouldn't accuse us of it. But all of this is completely blown out of the water by the fact that, like, witness number one that Israel's decided to call in here is the fucking chancellor of Germany. So if you're like, <laughs> if that's your argument, is like, well, you did something bad in the past. Therefore, you know, whatever. You're siding with the fucking people that did the Holocaust <laughs> in that sense, you know. But these are all modern versions of those states. So it's like you have to take that into context. Right. I mean, one thing that uh, I, I tweeted this, but um, Eve Barlow was, you know, <laughs> among the chorus of people who are like, really, South Africa of all countries? And it seems like they don't realize or pretending to not know that apartheid ended. Uh, but I looked in the comments and there's this one like fan of hers who's like a diehard Israel supporter. And he was like, yeah, South Africa should be put on war crimes trial for the genocide of white farmers in South Africa. <laughs> so maybe that's actually what they mean. Um, the uh, defense has tried to say that like all these statements that, you know, Israeli officials have, have said in the open about, um, you know, basically slaughtering people and completely wiping Gaza off the map, remaking the map. Uh, these are just quote, random assertions um, but they come from Netanyahu, they come from generals, they come from Israeli politicians and genocide scholars. If you're looking at what a genocide is, intent plays a big role and they're looking at these, these statements. Uh, that's, that's part of what goes into this, what yeah. could potentially grow into a genocide is, uh, is, is the intent of the, the country, um, that's, that's carrying it out. Um, random so, is such a funny word to use yeah. there. Yeah. Like you're like a it's millennial like, girl, you know, <laughs> or like my my rapper stalker guy. Like, oh, don't worry, there wasn't a genocide happening. It was just random. <laughs> it's just stuff he I said. Like, He's just spinning like bars. Stalkers of every type of music. So yeah, the uh, yeah. So <laughs> just do. talk about the intent a little bit. 
The whole thing with Israel and pretty much every Israeli political figures mentioned it, and I guess I've talked about it a little bit is the quote unquote demographic problem where they want to be an ethno state. They want to be a Jewish state, but they have to be a democracy or they want to say they're a democracy. So you need more than half Jews living there. And that means you have to kind of lower the population of people who aren't Jews there. How do you lower the population of people who aren't Jews there? Uh, by ethnic cleansing or <laughs> uh, or worse. Yeah. And there is, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are like a lot of barriers to citizenship, right? Among uh, <clears throat> Among Arabs to prevent this. I think just the Arabs who are citizens are the descendants of the people who stayed at, who weren't kicked out during the Nakba. There was 250,000 back then. I think now, uh, you know, uh, through growth, they're now like about a couple million. Um, and Israel, I think also it's like Israel's like 7 million Jews, 2 million Arabs, not including the occupied people. And uh, they want it to be way more than 50-50 because with reproduction, if it's close to 50-50, it could flip. Mm. Yeah. The other thing, you know, I feel like this is just kind of important to, to point out when you talk to liberals, because this is being argued on their behalf as this like this this liberal thing where it's like, no, we're, they're a democracy. They're the only democracy in the Middle East, et cetera, um, because those are values are are so important to that argument. I think that like something that should be brought up more and this is kind of argued in that book a little bit because he's always the kind of point he makes is like, you know, Israel had the better PR. That's why a lot of this kind of happened the way it did is uh, people need to understand that, like, is the Arabs that are occupied can't vote in the government that is ruling them. That's like that's a glaring inconsistency with the idea that this is like the only democracy or whatever you you. I mean, in, arguably, I guess they're like kind of a. What they would argue is that they're that it's a separate state or whatever over in Gaza. But I mean, if your your fucking gas and electricity is controlled by Israel, I think you're in Israel Israel's state apparatus thing, right? It's literally what America did with the Native Americans, where they're a separate entity when it helps uh, Israel, and they're part of Israel when it helps Israel. Like there's that's, no consistency. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's like one of those inconsistent, squishy things where it's just whatever's the most advantageous at the time. Well, this week we also found out that there is a dude in the State Department named Brett McGurk, uh, which isn't that from a show or so? I keep hearing the home movies. Coach oh, McGurk. Okay. <laughs> yes, that's what I keep hearing in my head every time I read this guy's name is Gurk McGurk. New York Times, New York Times. <laughs> One of my favorite things from a TV show ever. Well, he is now in the in the State Department and is already working on a plan to uh, rebuild Gaza after the war ends. And his the sort of the linchpin of the plan, and this is according to the Huffington Post, came out with this uh, breaking, really, uh, really revelation uh, heavy article from Akbar Shahed Ahmed. And uh, what he basically points out is that the linchpin of this. The U.S. right has two allies in the Middle East, Israel and Saudi Arabia, and maybe, just maybe, after the dust settles for this thing, this will be the perfect opportunity to finally get those states to join hands, even though uh, attempts at negotiation, and uh, I believe limited negotiation, between Saudi Arabia and Israel is what led to resentment from Hamas and uh, inspired, in part, the, the October 7th uh, situation. Um, so 
this is not yeah this is kind of a delusional tack that they're taking um that and basically has very little input from palestinians uh and yeah i mean the the response so far of the the white house is to just deny it say this article is filled with lies uh even though the the uh reporter ahmed like gave them extra time he was like all right i'll wait like a week to release this thing if you can like you can fact check me and show me that i'm wrong uh or like he got real quotes and the the spokespeople who are coming out and say it weren't interviewed for the article but they're like this guy's a liar it's a bunch of bs but it it seems to be true that uh the, the u.s is already plotting for after this this massacre ends and they're going to create a jerusalem Jeddah pact uh which will basically entail um a new palestinian authority basically like kicking out everybody who's currently there staffing them with with people they like and uh the palestinians are gonna have like even less say it's it's kind of amazing that it just things only go in that direction um, let me see if i can do them brendan brendan we have to do diplomacy with the saudis brendan get up wake up i'm drunk that's pretty good h john benjamin the guy who plays Archer. Yeah. Oh, he's great. He was Coach McGurk. <laughs> oh, I do. I remember that show a little bit. Uh, I, so I basically think with this stuff, they're just trying to turn Gaza into the West Bank where there's like beautiful Israeli neighborhoods, uh, settlements that are like living in Southern California, probably near the beach because Gaza has a beach. And then just little carved out cra- areas with like way less water and resources where the Palestinians live. And then, and eventually, you kind of just make those smaller and smaller, and hopefully, do an ethnic cleansing. Ugh. And do you think that's actually going to happen? That this this plan is going to come to pass? Well, they did destroy like they destroyed like two million people's housing. So then, uh, you get to rebuild it. And if Israel and Saudi Arabia are rebuilding it, they're going to rebuild it in the worst, most evil way. <sighs> yeah, it's depressing. Yeah. um and also there's a lot of shit happening in just the the past few days uh this could evolve into like a regional war with the u.s because on thursday night we had strikes from the u.s as well as britain don't leave them out of it uh with the support of canada uh on yemen we're attacking them uh we're attacking the houthi government uh, and, you know, they have been launching their own attacks on ships, commerce in the in the Mediterranean. Uh, some of those ships have been, in theory, bringing munitions and weapons to Israel or, or commerce to Israel. Uh, it is true. Not all of the ships have, have been doing that. But like, you know, they don't have necessarily the manifest on, on every single ship they see on on radar. Um, but, uh, what the Houthis are saying is that like, this is, this is the humane thing to do because we're, and by the UN zone genocide conventions, um, that's what you have to do is stop commerce to the state that's committing the genocide. Um, but anytime international commerce is threatened, uh, especially in that part of the world, we have a long legacy of this going back to Thomas Jefferson. Um, the U S is willing to throw down and, uh, violate our own constitution to, to rain bombs on the the culprit government. One of my favorite parts of this is that there's a quote from someone in the UK government that said the United Kingdom will always stand up for freedom of navigation 
and the free of flow and the free flow of trade. That's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said in a statement. Uh, the, the, the like unmasked just violence is happening on behalf of fucking trade, you know, which sounds so like, can you imagine being like on the ground and sent into battle on behalf of trade? That's so depressing, you know? <laughs> One of the other parts of this I find really funny is um, how many people do you think really had a hot, like a nuanced developed take? It's just in general walking around about Yemen like a week ago, right? Mm. Clearly, this is the sort of thing people catch up with when it happens in America. There was a moment where like, you know, there was a liminal space where you could tell that all of these like weird like accounts on Twitter that get paid by the Democrats <laughs> were just like furiously Googling what is a Houthi and how do I do this and stuff. And uh, one of them that's a lot of fun, that Ragnarok lobster guy. Uh, sure enough, about six hours later, after all this happened, he said, Y'all really expect people who've been playing in our faces for months with watermelon memes, punching black elders in the face, doxing black church elders, and misquoting Martin and Malcolm. And this guy thinks Malcolm would have been like a vote blue no matter who guy. In order, <laughs> <laughs> in order to shame us to give a damn about Yemen enslaving Ethiopian women. I don't even know what this means. I just like read it and I was like, wow, those are a lot of crazy ass words this guy just threw together. <laughs> He invoked Malcolm X and he's talking about, I think I th one of the things they're going to bring up is something involving Ethiopian women in the future. What? I don't know, so, man. <laughs> so he thinks the Houthis are doing posting crimes? They're like, <laughs> they're Bernie bros? I think he thinks the Bernie bros are Houthi heads. And that okay. they're going to uh, not acknowledge the slavery of Ethiopian. I have no fucking idea, man. But I, I just, it's a lot of fun because this is what's coming. It's apparently your fucking weird uncle at Thanksgiving next year is going to have a really intense take about Houthis for some reason, even though it's a thing <laughs> he's never thought about in his life until the Democratic Party told him, like, they don't want you to, you know, whatever. Right. They hate I us mean, for our freedom of yeah. trade. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, in all fairness, the Houthis uh, probably would not be Bernie bros for uh, a certain certain quality of of bernie sanders that uh, that freddie also shares uh which is in brooklyn yeah. well i don't know if, if uh freddie will take that as a queen's native but uh oh yeah, sorry my parents my indigenous homeland is brooklyn because my parents okay. were born there so. fair enough do you uh, take the tunnel to go in between the two places <laughs> exactly yeah, it's one it's on the same island we can take the tunnel that's what they were trying to build when they did that tunnel was finally a train that goes between Queens and Brooklyn. And Someone has to do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. What are we going to settle for the G? That's a that's a human rights violation as it stands. <laughs> um, it's too short. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that that is something, though, it, that, it, uh, you know, people will point out about the Houthis. And it's it's we don't have to dance around that like there is definitely an anti-semitic uh bent there but that's not really and, and that's what this this stuff unfortunately will devolve into is like if you're against killing these people that means obviously you uh support everything they've ever done or said uh this is like when the police shoot a black teenager and they go well yeah he's a he had a criminal record and he robbed somebody and, yeah it's like it doesn't matter what we're talking about is whether or not they deserve to be murdered in cold blood you know 
Right. Uh, the the uh, evoking character like that when you're talking about something this mortal is uh, just reframing the argument so you can justify the the murder. It's stupid. It doesn't matter. I'd also assume uh, they're bombing a lot of targets in Yemen, so they're probably bombing civilians who might not even really be that part of the Houthis or Absolutely. whatever. So it's another kind of collective punishment situation. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, but And also, like, this is going to pull us into potentially another regional war. I mean, we have been treating Yemen like a, a, a dump for, you know, a decade now with, like, a place to to store explosives uh, that then go off. Um, but like that's, this is not, this is not the time to be, to be doing this. And a lot of the pushback too has become um, about the authority, uh, whether or not Biden is allowed to do this um, unilaterally without Congress. And people are saying that like, Oh, uh, well, the war powers act says you just have to notify Congress within, uh, 48 hours, but no, it does say, um, Congress has to be notified and authorize the act of war. Um, but the response to that, and it's, it is true, uh, hard to argue with that. that we've ignored this for almost a hundred years at this point. Like, uh, the president has unilaterally launched a bunch of wars and acts of war, uh, without congressional approval. And that's just kind of the new normal. Like there's a whole generation of politicians, uh, that have, have lived through unauthorized wars. Um, but maybe that is something we should, should, uh, challenge. And, you know, you even have Republicans, uh, saying the same thing, um, that we should, we should go back to that. But, uh, I mean, that's, that's interesting to consider what that would even look like. Would Congress still, would it, would it just be another rubber stamp and it wouldn't make a difference? I mean, it would depend on the state of Congress, uh, but that would at least allow one backstop to, uh, the empire, right? Uh, as a constitutional originalist. Yeah. I think we should, <laughs> Congress should have to approve all the wars. Uh, the problem is right now, I don't think either house would actually vote to restrain this stuff. Yeah. But in an ideal world, it would be good because, yeah, that's that's how the country is supposed to work. That's kind of why I can't get into the arguments of like, oh, this is unconstitutional. It's because the Constitution's dumb. Like, I don't like the the Constitution. It doesn't. And and we don't actually adhere to it. So, like, that's just kind of a like a weird, nerdy, like, uh, you know, I'm an eighth grade argument. I mean, that's true. But also, like, I think the the main reason behind it is that that we don't consult Congress anymore, that the president just does this stuff unilaterally, is because that does threaten executive authority, that that threatens the image of the American empire, that you actually have this uh, bureaucracy that would hold up, you know, a war uh, that could actually stop uh, something like that from happening. Whereas, you know, the imperial presidency is supposed to be everything comes from the White House. They decide everything. Um, it, I, I think it would be, I th- you know, I'm not a constitutionalist, but I think that would it, it at least would be an improvement to move back to like some sort of pretense to democracy for things like launching a war, you know. Um, I, say, yeah. I say go off. I don't I like that the like the pre, the executive policy is like the same as like texting somebody like. I borrowed your car, you know, I'll be back in half an hour. <laughs> okay. I guess there's nothing I could do. Yeah. 
It is uh, funny, yeah, the, uh, what Jake was saying about the Constitution. It was just like the 50 richest people got in a room and wrote something while they were getting drunk one summer, and then we got to abide by it forever. And now it's like, it's just weird to be this far into history, and there are just like, you know, these weird white guys walking around with it, like, tattooed on their chest, you know? Like, it's <laughs> it's this just immaculate fucking artifact. We the people, you know? Um it's 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 funny that it's treated with that much gravity and also we don't use it it doesn't matter you know like we had the they had the emoluments clause and then when trump just broke it a million times they're like oh that's not enforceable that's just an article one yeah yeah well one thing that has been entertaining to see at least is uh, some of these interviews with uh the the new yorkers isaac chotner who is um not uh like a rabble rouser i would say um but he's you know uh a a good interviewer and um there was a few months ago he was interviewing ben cardin senator from maryland who uh was he was asking about like these human rights violations and uh you know whether or not what israel is doing is uh a war crime and he's like well i don't know i'm not i'm not a a lawyer uh, and then he comes, Chotner comes back with, sir, you're the head of the armed <laughs> services committee. Or something <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> um, but he interviewed John Kirby this week, who have you guys seen this, this dude, uh, the guy with the brown hair, who's like, it's really sad to see this guy clearly is in his like sixties and is still dyeing his hair and eyebrows just straight brown. <laughs> oh, the NSA spokesman. He's the NSA spokesman guy, right? Yeah, or NSC or something like oh, that. Oh, sorry, NSC. I'm sorry. N yeah, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, future, yeah. That's a job that gets you to be a Pod Save America host. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he seems, he seems just completely into all the evil that's going on. Uh, he says, United States is leading, Kirby says, United States is leading the world when it comes to advancing and increasing humanitarian assistance into Gaza. And then the interview is just like, leading the world, you said. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I would hate to see who's who's at the bottom of that list. I was going to read a little section from this interview that's pretty funny. It's This kind of has the tenor of like that fucking Pete Buttigieg uh, interview, you know, where the guy's just raising his eyebrows at him about the McKinsey bread pricing and shit. Or yeah. bread fixing. Bread price fixing, that's the word. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's pretty funny. The, the interviewer goes, the president accused Israel of, quote, indiscriminate bombing at one point. I'm curious what that means. And the guy answers, he goes, look, he was certainly reflecting a concern that we had that when it comes to air operations, there were ways they could have been more precise. So then the interviewer goes, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, was asked if Israel was operating according to the rules of war. He said, I'm not going to sit here and play judge or jury on that question. <laughs> And you previously said, I'm not aware of any kind of formal assessment being done by the United States government to analyze the compliance with international law. Are these things that you're concerned about? To which he answers, we have seen no indication that they are violating the law of war. And as I said earlier, and Jake said, we're not going to hold a court of inquiry here to determine that. We're not going to armchair quarterback every single uh, operation and event that they conduct. Then he goes, we're giving them weapons, though, right? And he says, well, just wait, we're going to continue to talk to them about the about the need to continue to conduct operations in the most precise, deliberate, careful way possible. The Israelis aren't waking up every morning, strapping their boots on and going into fight with the mindset that they're deliberately going to kill civilians and that they're going to reduce civilian infrastructure to rubble for the sake of doing it. That would certainly be a war crime. 
Civilian deaths are happening and happening at a rate that's obviously obviously we're not comfortable with. But it doesn't mean that they're intentionally trying to wipe the people of Gaza off the map the same way that Hamas wants to wipe the people of Israel off the map. And then he goes, well, indiscriminate bombing sounds not great. And then he goes, again, the president said that back in December, referring to our increasing concern about the need for Israelis to be more precise. The question I was trying to get at is that Israel is a country that we consider to be a very close ally. They are. Then shouldn't we expect that, of course, they're concerned about civilian casualties? We don't need to warn them about these things. We know that they will take the uh, take care of that themselves because they care about the value of human life. Well, they have it. And so it just goes on. And he's like, so he's a couple points out this inconsistency where he's saying, like, why do we consider these people allies if like we can't trust them to not blow up civilians? And he said he's going in a circle and saying, like, well, they're our allies, you know, yeah. it's just fucking weird. Right. And he's talking about Israel being this humane country, but he he does admit he's like, by no means, John Kirby says, by no means do we think enough aid is getting in. Uh, the, but then, OK, who's not letting the aid in? I mean, he's trying to argue that this is just like, uh, you know, war just uh, makes it so these things are are messy, which is true. But like for years now, Israel has been controlling everything that gets into gaza uh they've been giving them the bare minimum less than the bare minimum uh and that just clearly they don't care about that there's there's going to be no consequences um the 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 only thing uh the democratic party when they're in the white house gets mad about it israel for is settlements in the west bank and i think maybe that's going to continue uh like they're they're going to let them obliterate gaza and then wag their finger about future settlements like freddie was talking about in a few years when they when they fucking rebuild it as a as an amusement park yeah they had uh because israel uh had settlements in gaza and then in around 06 they got rid of them and just right. turned gaza into like the maximum security prison uh now they're probably going back to the other the other model i think it's very interesting when jake was reading that i mean it was it's very sad and basically, it's Israel destroying civilian infrastructure and killing civilians isn't as bad as Hamas wanting to wipe Israel off the map. So Hamas's desire is worse than what Israel's actually doing, according to the, uh, right. Kirby. Yeah. And that's what this always comes down to is like hypothetical deaths. You know, they I mean, obviously, people were killed in, on October 7th, and that's a very sad thing. But uh, if, you, if we're going to get really morbid here and compare real life body count, there is no comparison. So what they rely on is these hundreds of thousands of millions of people who would die if only Hamas could kill them. But uh, but of course they can't. And there's no scenario where that level of of uh, atrocity is going to be reached uh, on that side. Uh, it's it's only resulting in more Palestinian deaths. Um Netanyahu, what's your body count? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is interesting uh, about Netanyahu. His uh, he served in the '67 war, and what he did is still classified. Really? Ooh. What do you think? Years was? later, I mean, it's not going to be something good. The uh, the uh, it could be some horrible killing of people. Maybe it's just as nice as just like helping make nukes or something like that. Because that's the other ooh, stuff they classify. Ooh. And that's that's basically at this at this point, Israel still denies that they have nukes, right? Or they refuse to answer the question. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm everyone about, knows they have them. Yeah. Right. 
Right. And yeah, and the US was was sort of shaky about it, but uh but we definitely let it happen uh back in the day. But the French I, helped them get it started. The French are also everyone says the English are at fault. The French did a lot of bad stuff too with this whole thing. Mm. Um oh yeah, and they're also they're a question mark too with this on the because they're on the Security Council. Um US is on the Security Council in the UN, but anybody can veto if you're a permanent member of the Security Council. Uh, China is too, uh, so it'll be interesting to see um, where the where the war crimes case goes or the genocide case. Uh, I, I'm not super optimistic because obviously U.S. would veto uh, and France might might not. You know, the, uh, Macron is in this weird situation where he's like, um, you know, they're they're uh, Western European countries, so they're very censorious when it comes to like pro Palestinian stuff, but at the same time. They are like probably more concerned about the the human rights of it all than than other allies. Um, but then you have like China, who the the PRC has stated uh, solidarity with um, with the Palestinian people. But if they let this go through, then that could open the door to uh, genocide trial for the situation of the Uyghurs. That's not me saying that that what's going on there is genocide one way or the other, but they don't want to deal with that. Neither does Russia want to deal with that in regards to Ukraine. And they're also on the Security Council. So if those if if they're going to veto it, then it's it's hard to hard to imagine this this going anywhere. But at least it's like before the world and Israel is having to go and and defend itself. Um which is, you know, it's almost surprising that they showed up, but uh, they're 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 at least losing credibility, maybe with with people. But it's hard to hard to envision any sort of positive developments. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other night about um, about one state, two state solution. Both of those seem very far away at this point. But I'm curious, Freddie, what you, what you think is is the most tenable sort of like actual, maybe not totally just solution, but something approaching a just solution for both um, for, for Palestinian people. Uh, do you think? So this is the part that does get, it does get complicated. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've read a lot of Ilan Poppy books and been convinced uh, he's the Israeli historian. He did a uh, ethnic cleansing of Palestine and then the world's largest prison. And he really convinces you that the two state solution was, a scam and it was basically just going to be less than a state and just kind of almost like having them in a prison that was, that had Palestinian guards in the form of the Palestinian authority. I, I mean, I want to believe in a one state solution, but the problem is Israelis are very conditioned to hate Arabs and not want to share a state with them. So uh, that like it would, it would kind of almost be like the American South after the civil war where you would like, need military there until like a generation ended yeah. and maybe the new generation was more peaceful. And I know that didn't happen during reconstruction, but maybe that would have helped. Uh, yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to envision something because, you know, even with the two state solution, which people say it's more pragmatic at this point, you would need uh, the IDF really to forcibly clear out um, hundreds of thousands of settlers in, of the West bank uh, I was talking to someone the other day who was saying that, like, well, 
you we wouldn't have to do that. You just you just tell them that no more protection. We're not going to protect you anymore, and then they'll voluntarily leave. But it's hard to imagine that going well either, because the second like the IDF pulls out of the West Bank and says we're not going to protect you anymore, and there's like an attack, then that becomes like a huge propaganda message, and you know, uh, troops may get sent back in. I don't know what you think. I would think, I mean, that sounds like a nightmare because, I mean, the settlers probably have guns and that might just lead to, like, people, you know, shooting each other in the street. I mean, it's a, yeah, it can be a violent place. Like I said, everyone in Israel uh, has guns. Uh, also, so if a prime minister in Israel talks about giving back land, then someone tries to kill him because mm. there's some, like, there's some kind of, like, fundamentalist Jewish thing where if the king of it, of of the kingdom of Israel wants to give back land, it's okay to kill him. And that's kind of like uh, what Rabin got assassinated for. Yeah. Damn. Well, and, th and this is maybe wishful thinking too, but one thing I've heard certain people more of, more of our ilk suggest is that within the next couple of decades, Israel's just going to collapse on its own. There's too many internal contradictions in Israeli society that are just going to result in, in the state dissolving and collapsing into chaos and then maybe one big democratic state will just uh replace that but do you do you think that is a tenable that would option? be nice i guess in any of these states like same thing with like america like well maybe they just won't be a democracy anymore mm. because like ethno states have existed where it's just yeah like there's a, a ruling party and then it doesn't matter what the makeup of the electorate is because there is no electorate mm. yeah so you think it could just become an out-and-out -out dictatorship? I mean, and Netanyahu was kind of pushing for it uh, because, like, he's also he ran to avoid a you know corruption charges and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, he would definitely rather be a Jewish state than be a democracy, right? Yeah, as yeah, as we're seeing today, that's the no better way to get out of corruption charges than running for being the president of a country. Julius Caesar was the first guy to do it, uh, and it worked out for him. I mean, he got to be dictator for about five years. Uh, then he did get killed, but his adopted son became the first emperor. So It would be kind of cool if Netanyahu became an out-and-out -out dictator because he's a guy from New Jersey, and that's just <laughs> weird, you know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean... Go ahead. Okay, that is the thing. Yeah, we they have the most American possible leader of Israel. He's like extremely American, right? Um, the guy can't even pump his own gas. <laughs> <laughs> the law in New Jersey, folks. If you're from somewhere else listening and you didn't get that joke, you can't pump your own gas there. It's infuriating. They have to and hire. It's for delinquent New Jersey guys. There's a law to keep them employed so that they can be gas pumpers. When you go to the gas station, you're not allowed to put the thing in yourself. It has to be the guy. And then the guy pumps his gas and he immediately accuses that guy of being in Hamas. Yeah. <laughs> Do you could um, it's like uh, the button is on the fucking gas thing and everything. Is the logic there because, like, if you're an ex-con, like, the gas pump is is kind of like a gun, like, there's a trigger, and so that's what you're used to? So. They're like, you know how to use these, yeah, just pretend you're trying to gun down the gas tank. <laughs> I'm sure. In Queens, we do have places where it's full service and the same price as self-service, and it's really nice. Mm -hmm. That is cool. Well, maybe that'll be a plan for all the Israeli settlers. They can... 
they can learn how to do that with electric uh, vehicles. <laughs> um, that'd be my my non helpful solution. But is that going to be uh, a thing in Jersey in the future? Is like uh, you got to go to the charge guy over there. You know, you can't yeah. charge your own car. You need this <laughs> fucking weird cyberpunk guy who's from Jersey to plug in your car for you. I guess so. I mean, that yeah, that's. I don't know how else they're going to do that because it, it. I mean, I haven't charged a car, but I would imagine it's pretty simple. Um, but I mean, pumping gas is at least. I am at least dumb enough to. I needed uh, someone to show me how to do it the first time because there was like a lever at this gas station in Minnesota that you had to like pull up that I didn't know about. And uh, some of them you have to do that. It's weird. Some yeah. of them you don't. Right. Just the big trick is you put your gas cap in the thing. So then it pumps automatically and you don't have to hold it. That's mm. the big thing in New York. That is the uh, thing. Only in New York. <laughs> well, speaking of New York, um, obviously uh, a lot of, Politicians from New York are very pro-Israel. Um, that may be changing. It still kind of feels like it's more intense here than than other uh, states. But I mean that it is pretty common throughout America. Um, but do you think that that changes? Is it going to be easier now for progressive elected officials from from New York to to come out for things? Like for instance, the uh, not on our dime act, which is there's there's nonprofit organizations that directly fund Israeli settlements that get a tax exemption in New York, um, and you know that there's a bill to to end that. Uh, do you, what do you, where do you see the winds blowing here with with um, local and state politics in regards to Israel? That's a hard, that's a very hard question. I mean, at least in my district, we have candidates who've called for a ceasefire. Uh, because we have, I'm in AOC's district and Tiffany Caban. So yeah, if it's younger, if it's younger Jews, then yes. But, uh, I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, older, uh, older, uh, uh, richer, you know, boomer Jews may, it may still be tough. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that's and do you, do you think and that's a, a sentiment that's reflected more generally even among uh, people who are still um, quite religious and are younger. Do you think they're more open to things like a, a ceasefire? Oh, younger religious people. Yeah, I th uh, so yeah, it definitely depends on which type of religious. So like conservative and modern Orthodox, I think are the most Zionist. And then, uh, as you guys have talked about, yeah, there's there's ultra orthodox groups. Um, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of conflict between them, and some are not Zionist. But then, like the Chabad wing, they are very Zionist. Right. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting thing too, because we talked about it a little bit on the bonus episode. Uh, Chabad. Uh, did you ever have run-ins with them? Well, what's I, I'm curious what your perspective is. I have is been to on... Chabad house. Uh, and okay. paid for some overpriced uh, microwave pizza, <laughs> and uh, in, in, up in Binghamton. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've met Chabad people, and yeah, they describe themselves as ultra orthodox. I only recently learned that how many different sects to ultra orthodox Jews there were. Uh, so the, yeah, there's these other sects that you'll see at the rallies who uh, are against uh, against Zionism. 
Because I think they think if we go to Israel before the Messiah comes, then it'll be the Christian Messiah who will kill the Jews. So yeah. we have to wait to go till after. Um, but yeah Chabad, yeah, Chabad is just very religious and yeah, very Zionist. And uh, I mean, a lot of this stuff, it's, you know, you're just going to listen to what the rabbi says. So it's it's not particularly democratic. It's more, uh, you know, hierarchical or one could say cultish. Hmm. That's a really interesting reason to be against Zionism. And yeah, I think if you hear someone explaining that, you have to be like, well, thanks for being here anyway. You know, <laughs> whatever your motivation is, because that's uh, religious bananas shit. Man. Right. And it is true. I mean, we did an episode about uh, Naturi Karta, who has basically that that position. And they, and they say very progressive things about, you know, they their rhetoric is, is almost... Uh, like a, a socialist about uh, the the persecution of the Palestinians, um, but then you listen to them talk about the Holocaust, and they're not super public about this uh, about this position. But they they basically think that uh, Jews brought on the Holocaust for not being religious enough, which is a totally contemptible view, in my opinion. We've uh, all been saying it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but like, I'm curious to get your perspective on, on how to, how to reconcile that. Like, are these people we should be keeping at arm's length no matter what, or do you just kind of have to accept that they're going to show up at these rallies and, and we should be cool with it? I guess I think that, yeah, because the thing is when they're at the rallies, they're only saying the right stuff. My wife and I went to one that they were at. And we did kind of, it was towards the end of the rally anyway, we'd kind of sneak away once they started speaking. And I didn't know their views, but yeah, I knew that they were on the right side for the wrong reason. And also, yeah, fundamentalism uh, in Judaism is very bad on this stuff because there's a lot of stuff in the Jewish Bible where the Jews massacre uh, the indigenous people of what was called Canaan back then. Mm. So the Jewish Bible can be used uh, in bad ways for this stuff, so we got to be careful with it. What do, you, what do you think is the best sect? If, if you, uh, I mean, do you still go to temple? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I became an atheist when I was 19. Okay. Uh, but like I said, that wasn't, that's not as big of a deal as not being a Zionist. Right. What I would do is I'm going to get all the uh, ultra Orthodox sects, have them in a lineup, and then I'm going to just pick the best hat. <laughs> that's the way to do it, probably. Now, those hats could not be less indigenous to uh, Israel, Palestine, because it's way too warm. Those are like Polish elite hats or something from the, the Pale of Settlement, which is actually where my family's from. I think they got oh. them from Pharrell in that music video <laughs> fucking five years ago or whatever. But um, I guess, I guess but, what I'm getting at, is there like uh, a tendency that is like the most sort of progressive while on, on all counts while still being like faithful <laughs> to, to the Torah? Or is it basically... Because, you know, I know a lot of... Um, anti-Zionist Jews, but most of them are like you, secular, and they don't, they're atheists or agnostic, but are there still, how, how many people still uh, take the Torah very seriously, but also are, have, check all the right boxes on, uh, on political issues? I mean, reformed Jews, you can uh, let you do whatever you want as far as how much feels Jewish. So reform, you could take the Torah seriously and be anti-Zionist. Cool. It's kind of more of a big tent. There is like um, everyone talks about Jew belong and they are, you know, posting horrible Zionist propaganda. But on Instagram, there's a bigger Jewish uh, influencer site called Hey Alma. And they'll kind of post like more even handed stuff about it. 
and try to include everybody. And I appreciate them. I'm not sure if they're specifically reformed, but they're at least like kind of doing the good version of uh, making a big tent for the Jewish identity. Yeah, good for them in that case. Yeah, as an atheist, I, I don't know from religions. I just know from Instagram accounts. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of Instagram accounts, um, as we kind of round out here, I wanted to maybe lighten things up with a funnier story. <clears throat> Something happened the other day in Portland, Oregon. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Michael Rappaport has been on an insane <laughs> A bombing rampage of his own, you might say, <laughs> uh, doing, I guess what he, I guess he's, he's one of those people like that. I, I guess he's a comic. Like I thought he was like a weird actor that plays angry cops and everything, but apparently he does stand up of some kind and he's always booked at like stand up New York, which is run by like really Zionist fucking owner. And uh, he's been part of like these events that have been happening that are like they're called like stand up for Israel. And they're just like they're just booked up with like the most racist people I've ever met in New York. Not even just uh, in terms of comedy, like the most the worst people I've ever met are the lineups on these fucking things. Can it's I just like, say it? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, so they're raising money for a charity called FIDF, which is not F the IDF, but Friends of the IDF. So it's giving money directly ah. to the army massacring civilians. Oh, Jesus Christ. That's like, I mean, even weirder than uh, just to put it directly into the fucking military. It's, it's so fucking brutal. It's like, you know, these people they sort of like work with like, um, you know, Kumia and fucking Aaron Berg and people like that. And the 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 propaganda that they're putting out is just vile, especially considering like how a lot of people have been extremely racist to like friends of ours and stuff. Um, but anyway, without getting into that, uh, Michael Rappaport, I guess he does stand up and he's like doing this sort of shit on a tour. And he tried to play Club Helium in Portland, which is owned by Rich Miller, which is Dennis Miller's brother, by the way, if you're keeping track. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Which is, I guess, I mean, I guess he did play it, but I mean, P- Portland is, it seems I haven't been out there since 2020, but I, I, just from the news and following shit on Twitter, it seems like Portland's like kind of the one place where they just like never quite burned out the candle of like the Chaz and, and uh, you know, all the 2020 stuff. Like there's still like a very healthy anti-fascist organizing thing happening in the streets and stuff. And they'll do stuff like go and protest Michael Rappaport's shitty comedy show because he is just <laughs> propagandizing, you know. Um, I did, uh, good. I had a house guest from Portland, uh, coincidentally, recently, <laughs> and they were saying, well, first of all, Portland's a liberal city, not that many Jews, so going to be less of a population than Zionist. And in Portland, they're all like, this war is stupid. Why are we uh, why are we doing another Iraq? Where did we learn our lesson from that? Sure. I. I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a great philosophy. Nice and simple. Just know that future wars are going to be like the war that you hated when you were young. Yeah. You know, there's something to that. Uh, anyway, I saw some bit, some footage of it and they had to call in the police to protect Michael Rappaport from <laughs> protesters and the police, you know, were like throwing fucking smoke bombs and tear gas and shit around. And it was it looked like Portland when you see it streaming. <laughs> um, but then apparently what happened right after that is that there's this huge fucking blizzard 
and it was like this huge public safety issue and the you know the, the local government isn't doing a lot of shit to like protect the roads and stuff like that and some people have died from it so uh so we're like hand of god deuce ex machina intervened <laughs> and rapaport shows fucking bombed anyway because no one came out because <laughs> of the blizzard <laughs> and he's been on uh streaming just like uh yelling about the blizzard and going like you you're you protesters you could come out and protest my show but you're afraid of a blizzard and it's clear that just no one came to his show <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun you know old man yells at cloud definitely he doesn't strike me as having a very uh suitable vibe to the pacific northwest to me no yeah he's 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 an angry east coast cop guy yeah so i had a friend from brooklyn who talked about him and he at some point had the quote-unquote n-word pass because he was so cool (laughs) oh he he was in bamboozled talking about that yeah he raps and and stuff (laughs) yeah and then he started some kind of argument with Kevin Durant on Twitter like five or ten years ago when he lost that. And That's since so then it's funny. just been a downward spiral. I didn't even know he was Jewish. I thought he was a cool Italian guy. Uh, <laughs> now he's just an angry Zionist on Twitter yelling at blizzards. Well, that's yeah, amazing because he, he has that scene in Bamboozled. He plays like a network executive who's saying he should sit, be able to say the N-word. And I guess <laughs> Spike Lee wrote it brilliantly so brilliantly that michael rapaport actually thought that like oh yeah this is a good point and not like <laughs> subtly <laughs> mocking people like him um but something i definitely want to talk about with you is is you're you're a working comic uh as we've talked about on the show a lot of club right. owners are zionist uh how has that affected your your career one thing is those clubs mostly weren't booking me anyway <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, that, so yeah, so I haven't been like blacklisted. Um, but yeah, those yeah. Uh I mean you definitely have yeah, people who book venues, um, you know, sending you angry messages. I, I think I did hear about maybe a Palestinian comic or two had to like block people, or whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean if people are sending you angry messages who book stuff, like it would probably be tough to get booked on the Upper West Side again. Hmm. Yeah. But other, otherwise there are enough uh people who are either apathetic or or pro-palestinian who will will give you yeah i still get enough spots now the thing is there's a lot of money in doing uh, jewish comedy and jewish Mm -hmm. comedy is all is solely booked by people who are supportive of israel so like there is yeah i'm probably will make less money in the future from that because of all this yeah but you know i that is refreshing to hear you just sort of dismiss that question immediately because i think the what the most dangerous thinking here for comics that are thinking about this sort of stuff is that you have to try to appeal to everyone because it's a grind and you have to fucking do everything like listen to fucking guys like freddie you can work fine and still have principles and stuff you know we can we can effectively like just stay out of those clubs like fucking stand up new york and like uh and, and still get get up on stage all the time and do spots and you won't be complicit with their fucking weird propaganda agenda yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I also, once you cross the Rubicon, you just did it. So, like, if you're even a little critical of Israel, they're angry at you. So then it's like, keep going. Like, it's like, okay, like, I've lost a couple, like, a couple friends stopped talking to me. It's like, nothing worse can happen. So then just, just keep going. Also, yeah, they just don't want us talking about it because the facts are not on Israel's side. It's violating, you know, war crimes laws. 
etc. Totally. And all right, folks, that's been uh PDA. Oh, sorry, for can the I week. plug? Absolutely. Freddie G, oh, where yeah. can people find you? Yeah, so at Orange Freddie G on all, all the social medias. I've definitely lost some followers. Uh, you know, some, I'd post a lot of Jewish videos and maybe some Jews who follow me from that, you know, don't like me anymore. <laughs> uh, there is one comedy venue on the Upper West Side. The Upper West Side is an area I have a lot of family in that has booked me to headline. It's a it's a uh, halal deli. I'm headlining a halal deli on the Upper <laughs> nice. West Side. February nice. 3rd, so you can get a uh, ticket link or whatever at Orange Freddy J. Um, so ex- excited for that. Cool. Awesome. Um, Anders, you got anything? Uh, at Anders Lee here on Twitter. Uh, Dursley went on Instagram. The next paid protest is going to be February 2nd. February 2nd. Uh, I never remember how you're supposed to say that. Uh, it's going to be at Silo in Bushwick. 7 o'clock doors show at 7.30 p.m. We got some really funny comics, including Nat Towson, um, and uh, some other great people. Kath Barbadaro is going to be there. Alex will not be at this show, uh, but you should still come anyway um, because it's it's going to be a lot of fun. Tommy Bear, uh, as well as Kenise Mobley and Brittany Carney. Hell of a good lineup and uh, raising money for DSA, NYC DSA Poly Ed. Uh, community. So that's to educate people on how to be polyamorous. Blue hair people in Brooklyn are doing in the DSA. Exactly. I'm going to bring my wife to that thing. (laughs) (laughs) You need a whole flow chart. There's a lot of education that goes into the, uh, yeah. Who gets to count as poly. Apparently I've been bounced from the poly community because I was just single. Um, That didn't count. Your pass has been revoked. Damn. If you can't find two people who will have sex with you, you get kicked out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it is Worth. really a pyramid scheme you have to find two people and tell those people to find <laughs> two people um i've got a fuck ton of plugs uh my podcast with luisa diaz is back why you mad we started up again uh we're gonna talk about the curse this week i'm very excited uh la, la, la. so if you're a fan of that show and you like listening to me talk about pop culture and movies and tv and stuff like that and books and uh other crazy philosophy shit listen to why you mad i also started a podcast about king of the hill my friend avery moore it's fucking fun it's called that's my podcast i don't know you we just came up with a really good concept for the patreon i'm very excited about so check that out if you're a fan of king of the hill and you want to listen to two dumbass comics talk about it for a long time the other thing i have to plug is the uh well actually you know what also consider listening to our patreon if you're a fan of the show i should plug that from time to time if you don't know we have a patreon we do bonus episodes you can get in the discord and fucking share memes and yell at me and all this stuff it's great right finally if you're in los angeles january 25th of this month it's uh it's my birthday and also a party uh i'm throwing an indie sleaze party with uh some friends with my girlfriend with my friend jamie peck me and Jamie are going to do a set as our comedy show, The Woke Mob, which is just me and her doing jokes about shit like this in kind of a late night setting. I've also got some really cool comics uh, opening up for us, and there's it's a party, and it's my birthday, and so if you're in L.A., you should come hang out. That's it. All right. I think that's been PDA for the week. Keep fighting the good fight, and so on and so forth. Thank you, Freddie, for joining us. Oh, it was a pleasure. It, yeah. It's finished. Up.